everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hill Spring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Right, so we would spend all this time with these dominoes, and then it was just kind of a thing to like let them, let them go. But, and, and if you're, I don't know if you've ever seen a documentary or something like that, but they would like take one out and then do a section. Because if you had this big masterful domino thing going, you, you wouldn't, like you would just take it out because you didn't, if once it started, it's a chain reaction that keeps going and going and going and, and going. I'm going to talk about one of these dominoes today that if we take it out, it really does stop the momentum. And I love you. Sometimes we need to hear hard things. Some of you are going to amen me because you understand the power of the domino that we're going to talk about. Some of you are going to push on this because it's not your thing, but it's a biblical thing and it's a thing that we all need in our lives. So if you got your Bible, I want you to open up to John's gospel, chapter 13. That's, that's where we're going to be. And I'll be honest with you, this message, we're going to be all over the place. We're going to be talking about several different things. All my guys in the room say, yeah. Okay, Tuesday night, I need you to be here because we're going to have guy manly conversations. I mean, this is a new year, new us. It's remnant. Um, we're, I mean, I know it's going to be four degrees outside, but we're going to be outside cooking hot dogs. No, I'm just kidding. That's not like we're, no, but guys, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a conversation the Lord's put on my heart. It's really why we started remnant, because God wants us to be the leaders of our home. He wants to be the leaders of our kids, and we want to talk about what that looks like. We want to talk about in the culture and the day that we have, can my boys come? I want your boys to come. I want young men to come that maybe aren't married or dads yet. I, I want, because we're just going to talk about what is what does it mean to be a man in Scripture? And look at that. So I want you to be here. Dinner's absolutely free. Yes, it'll be fast-friendly, and we want you to come and, and to be a part of that. So um, your call. Do you want to hear a crazy cat story? Okay, all right. So thank you, Ashley. I, mean, I can always, can always count on your crazy cat story. So um, many of you follow the... First of all, you people know I don't like cats, right? Like, I'm a dog guy, you know? But we, we, it started during covid Kaylee had a friend that had a litter of kittens, and Kaylee just shows up with a kitten. You know what I'm saying? And so, Sayla, was that her name? Yeah, Sayla. I had just come out of the Sayla series, and so we, we named Sayla, and then she had a litter of kittens, and you can do the math. <laughs> like, they reproduce really fast. So they're barn cats. We live in the country. We have these things called coyotes. And so, oh, I haven't seen that one in a few days. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's the circle of life. Things have to eat, right? So we, we've never really like, fixed our cats or whatever. It's what's sad is the good cats, they're the ones that get caught. So our favorite cat, she just hasn't been back in about 10 days. Pray for Jerry. She's weeping a little bit. So anyway, we got literally down to about seven cats. That's the lowest we've been in about two years. And um, so, but we have some that are wild. I mean, they are barn cats. So first of all, some of you, like with this story, you're going to call animal control on me. That number is 918. Like, call them. Please come get my cats. I'm fine with that. No. Okay. So anyway, we have some that are wild. Like, if they see me, they just go. If they see Jerry and she's out, my wife loves animals. She's like, hi, baby. You know, my kids get slop for dinner, but the cats get like all this great stuff. And, you know, oh, how's mama's babies and all this stuff. Okay. Well, Cold weather stinks for barn cats. It just does. Like, you know, it's, it's been getting cold, and you can kind of look out our back door, and they all huddle up. We have 100 and, 
75-pound Rottweiler. She's not that big, but she is a really, I mean, like I don't need a central heat and air unit. I just need Addie the Rottweiler. She just puts off all this heat. And then we have a golden retriever. He's like 13 years old, and he still acts like he's two. When you look at him, he's always got toys in his mouth. Like, do you want to play? That's just Nike. All right, and so they all kind of cuddle up, and if you, know, if you ever feel bad for them, you go out there, hi, oh, like they ain't cold, like they're warmer than my house is. So anyway, but when it gets really, really cold, we let them in the house. So the older cats know, oh, actually, you just, we just bring them through our mudroom, let them go out to the garage. Jerry's got a nicer blanket than what I sleep on out there for them, and there's a pillow and mints and all that stuff. So we open up the door, and the two dogs will lead the charge, you know, and then the older mature cats that know the routine that have been through the cold winters, they do that. But we've got new, we've got new cats that haven't been through a cold winter, and so they're like real skittish. They're like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do this or not. You know what I'm talking about with cats? Like, come here, buddy. And they're like, oh, I don't think I'm going to do that, right? Okay, so literally it takes her like 12 minutes to get all the cats to decide that they can risk their life by going to a warmer garage. You may be done. No? Okay. So anyway, so last night, Jerry comes in and she has this look of depression on her face. And I go, it's the cats, isn't it? She goes, yeah. Some of the babies just won't come in. Okay. Again, I hate cats. So... She's off in the bath and whatever, and I go, I'm going to try. We have two that are just wild. Like, if they see me, they're gone. So anyway, I just, I, I open, open the door and just don't let them see me. And so they kind of, one of them turns around and looks at me. Nope. nope. And then all of a sudden, the other one just jumps over him into the room. Like, where are they at? Where's the rest of them? Where's the rest of the cats? And so then the white cat follows him into which now I have the two wildest cats that we own. And so I just gently close the door. I don't know what hell's going to be like, but it's going to be something like that. Like I'm literally huddled in the corner going, dear Jesus, don't scratch my eyes out. I mean, when I closed that door, those two cats were like something like a whirlwind. Wow, 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 wow. And so we have in our mudroom, there is a sink where you kind of wash your hands and so on and so forth. And there's just a hanging mirror right there above that. One of the cats jumps up in the sink and then jumps up on the mirror. And he sees himself in the mirror and he freaks out. So he jumps down and then he does it again. Like he's just looking for an escape and he jumps up in the mirror. Now he's swinging back and forth like this. And he looks at me. And I'm pretty sure in cat language, he cussed me out. Like whatever he called me, I could see it in his eyes. So this one goes into the coat closet and he's literally hiding on top of the hot water heater. This one decides to go by behind the washer and the dryer. And so, oh, and there's a trash can in there that the whole contents were emptied. Like it was crazy. So I've, I finally, then I go open the door to the garage and all the other animals in there looking like, what in the blue blazes is going on in there? Because it sounded like the house was like, and I'm just, so finally, the cat that's behind the washer and dryer sees the door and he makes a run for it and the other cat gets out and I close the door and I thank the Lord that I survived catopolis, whatever, you know. So I walk into Jerry and I, I tapped on the door and I go, baby, I got good news and bad news. Oh, yay, wait. You know what I'm saying? That's typically how that conversation goes. I go, well, the good news is I got two of the wild cats in. You did? You're my favorite person. Oh, shucks, honey. I said the bad news is they made a catastrophic mess, and I got to go work on my sermon. <laughs> Thank you for cleaning that up. That was, really, that was really remarkable. So they all survived the night in the garage, and um, 
yeah, it's my life. Pray for me. You know what I'm saying? 21 days of prayer and fasting that Jerry would lose her love for cats. So we are in that final week of fasting. You can join us every morning. Had some great feedback from you guys. We play a video on YouTube, uh, just kind of a devotional, just to kind of encourage you. You can also catch it on our app. Pastor Matt talked a moment ago about our app. And uh, you can download that and it streams on that as well. And also, I know some of you in here are just colder nature and we, we know we've struggled with our furnaces and uh, got them back up. And, but we did. We actually did have some custom Hillspring blankets that are made that are back by the doors. If you just need one, they're not to take home. If you'll just throw it in the floor by that, we'll wash them. And it'll be here next week when you come back. And so, hashtag Ashley, you're welcome. Okay, so we're talking about dominoes and these things, these conversations that are designed to create momentum and keep momentum going. I don't know about your life, but I, in my life, I've got these keystone habits, if you will, that this one tips into that one, that tips into this one, that tips into that one. Right? And what we're going to talk about today is a beautiful gift from God. It's something that God has given us, but we need to embrace it to become more like Christ because as we become more like Christ, the, the reality is we become better people. So John chapter 13 is, is where we're at. And it's one of those Sundays that I'm, I'm going to be all over the place a little bit, but we're going to start in John chapter 13. And in John chapter 13, the context of that is Jesus is in the final hours before he would be arrested, before he would face his trial, and before his crucifixion. And so there's this temptation as we read that for that moment to feel a little bit heavy, but we have to stop and remember that's not how the story ends. There is an empty tomb and a risen Savior on the other side of that crucifixion. Amen, everybody? But it does feel heavy, right? We call it the Last Supper, it would be the last meal that he would eat before the crucifixion, or sometimes referred to it as the Lord's Supper. In John's account of this Last Supper, they're actually celebrating the Jewish holiday, the Passover. And Jesus would get a bowl and some water and a towel and on his feet or on his knees, and he would literally wash the feet of his 12 disciples. It's this beautiful example. It's this powerful illustration of love your neighbor. John chapter 13, verse 14. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow, so do as I have done to you. It's an example of selfless sacrifice. Jesus would seize this moment with his disciples, and then he would quickly turn the topic. He would quickly turn to the conversation of the one who would betray him. Verse 21. Now Jesus was deeply troubled and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked at each other, wondering whom, it, whom he could mean. Verse 23. The disciple Jesus loved. That's an interesting title. Because <laughs> he loved all of them, Right? But the disciple that Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Pause. Now, I, I love the New Living Translation. I really do. It, it really has almost become a standard for pastors to preach out of. It makes reading comprehension in 2024 just so much easier. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not one to criticize. I read lots of different translations. It's just like if you're new to the Bible, man, the New Living it, it's, it's just easier to read. It gets rid of the yay verilies and puts it into language that we can understand, okay? But the reason why, I don't want to criticize why the New Living translates things the way they do, because smarter people than me, more educated people than me, they got in rooms and they sat around tables and in kind of those 
What do we do with this conversation? They settled that. They made decisions. And then, quite frankly, a couple of years later, they came back and they made different decisions because we're, I think we're on like version seven of the New Living Translation or whatever. But sometimes I just feel like the old translations say it better. Sometimes they say it more powerful. Or maybe it's just familiarity to us. Maybe it's because that's the way we, if you, if you went to Sunday school or, or maybe the church you grew up in, it's those translations that you said it. And I, I want to do this with John chapter 13, verse 23. And I want to go to an older translation because I feel like the New Living Translation misses it just a little bit. Maybe. It all depends on how they translate the Greek word in, E-N. Because there's like seven different ways you can translate that. The word in can be translated by or with or inside or among or on or through. Okay? Like it's just, it's one of those like, what's the definition of is, right? It's in, and it can be translated several, several different ways. Older translations paint a little bit more of an intimate setting in this Lord's Supper, okay? In John chapter 13, verse 23, some of the older translations give it a little bit different spin, if you will. So I'm going to grab the New King James Version, John 13, 23. It says, and now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, okay? Now, today, you might blush if someone were to speak to you like that and said, well, I was leaning on her bosom, right? Like, I don't even feel right saying that in church. It just means, it's just different than when this was originally translated, all right? John doesn't name himself here, but we strongly believe he is that disciple. He is the disciple whom Jesus loved. Because the only reason we can kind of come to that conclusion is found how John chapter 21 ends. Because there again, that phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and then he goes on to say, and that's the disciple that wrote this story. Okay, So when we hear the disciple whom Jesus loved, we've just kind of connected those dots that this is John. And catch the intimacy of this moment. John is relaxed. In, in, in the older translations, it says that he's leaning on Jesus' bosom, okay? And so it's a beautiful picture of a relationship, a friendship, even a, a mentorship, right? Newer translations take the bosom part out. Thank goodness, okay? Right? So just, I want you to just catch the context, though. But we know that John is sitting beside Jesus, or maybe even the way they dined, he's leaning, probably leaning on his elbow. It's quite possibly he's leaning into Jesus. Like, there's that type of relationship. They're not cuddling. They're not snuggling. Don't go there. But it's just that there's just such a familiarity that we're sitting here, we're having this meal. And man, Jesus is just my friend. He's just a mentor. There's just a close, intimate relationship, the disciple whom Jesus Loved. Verse 26, Jesus responded because they're like, who is it, Jesus? Who's going to betray you? Peter would say, who is that? John would say, yeah, Lord, who's going to betray you? In verse 26, Jesus responded, it's the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he dipped it, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon, uh, Simon Iscariot. It's an intimate moment. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, even Judas. Jesus washed the feet of Judas. John, leaning near, or leaning, or reclining, or, or touching nearby Jesus. And then Jesus reveals in the sentiment moment, one of my followers is going to hurt me. One of my followers is going to betray me. And Jesus, Judas, Judas couldn't handle that moment, and he kind of flees that intense, revealing moment. Two relationships on the opposite ends of the spectrum. One is described with agape love because the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's the Greek word agape. Agape love is a faithful, committed, it's a loyal, 
love. This relationship is so comfortable that, that John's even leaning next to or reclining into Jesus, right? You've got that relationship. The other relationship was a relationship of betrayal. And there's a long list of reasons of why Judas might betray him. Greed makes its way to the top of that list. We all have or had a version of Judas in our life. We've all had friends, family, people who were in our circle that betrayed us. And we all need a relationship like John in our life. Okay? And quite frankly, the Judases of the world make it harder for the Johns. The, the Judases that we've dealt with in our life, they make it harder to love people like John. It makes it harder for John to, to love us. Oh, Judas was a follower of Christ? Well, I know how the followers of Christ can be, right? You won't catch me, trust, you won't catch me trusting one of them, no sir. Judas hurt me and he was a follower of Christ, so they all must be that way. We all know people. Maybe, maybe you've even been one of them, that you had an experience with a church that wasn't good and it wounded you deeply. And so now we label all the churches that way. Well, you know how churches can be. Well, you know how Christians can be. No, 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 no. Not they, just one. Just one. Judas was one of 12 disciples. There would be 11 more disciples who would lay down their life for the church. They would lay down their life for the mission and ministry that Christ commissioned them for. We have these dominoes that tip into each other. And last week we talked about the first domino needs to be the word of God. Why wouldn't I want to build my life, my home, my career, my parenting style, my, just everything in my life? Why wouldn't I want to build that on the foundation of the divinely inspired word of God? Yes, there's, there's prayer. Yes, uh, there's this idea of taking care of our temple that God entrusted us to. Man, we got a lot of work to do. We need to make sure that we're in the best shape and, and doing the right things to make sure we have the energy and the longevity in our life to accomplish all that God has set before us. There's this domino of weekly worship. There's all these dominoes. But this week, I felt compelled to go here to a God-centered, life-giving, faith-building relationship. Am I going to pitch about Hillspring small group ministry? Sure, for, for just this long, right? We don't do this for us. We don't do this because we think your calendar's empty and need things to do. We do this because it's a domino. We do this because life-giving, faith-building, God-centered relationships are a necessity in our growth as Christians. We're, not, we're even a month away from starting them. We need leaders. You saw that in the loop. We, we need people who will say, I get it, Pastor. I understand that domino. Maybe you haven't led one for a year or maybe you'd led pre-COVID and haven't jumped back in. Now more than ever in the history of our church, we need people that understand the value of this domino and understand the value of faith-building, life-giving, God-centered relationships. What I'm gonna do today is make a desperate plea for you to evaluate and inspect the relationships in your life. Make sure they're not what's stopping the momentum of your growth. If I've got this chain of dominoes, doom, 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 and I'm missing this domino, I'm going to stop. My growth is going to stop. My spiritual momentum is going to stop. The fun stuff is going to stop. So there's three relationships that we need. There's plenty more we can talk about, but I want to talk about three this morning that I think really fit this domino. The first one is we need relationships of encouragement. Relationships of encouragement. To some extent, that's what's going on in John chapter 13. When Jesus washes their feet, John's leaning up next to him, and all of a sudden that intimate moment turns into, by the way, one of my followers is going to hurt me. One of my followers is, is, is going to betray me. Two of them quickly speak up like, who is it? Tell us, Jesus, I'll get him. I'm going to give him an uppercut. 
I'm getting one of these and one of those and one of these and one of these. Right? Like they're there saying, Jesus, you just tell me who it is and I'm going to take this brother out back and we're going to have a prayer meeting. He's going to pray that I stop beating him. Like that's what this is. This was, in, this was a relationship of encouragement. I mean, there was a little bit of fear in them. Like surely I'm not the one that would accidentally betray you. Jesus, I love you. Right? In just John chapter 11, when, when Jesus makes the decision to go to Jerusalem, all the disciples are like, no, 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 we can't do that. Because Jesus, we know what's waiting for you in Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem, you're going to die. And he says, I know. Let's go to Jerusalem. And Thomas, one of his disciples, said, okay, then let us go and die with Jesus. That is, I'm with you. I am your ride or die. I'm your friend. There's so many great examples of men and women in the Bible that are this relationship of encouragement. I think about Job. The story of Job, he lost everything except his nagging, complaining, griping wife. Like really of all the things you're gonna leave me with, Lord? (laughs) And Job literally had lost all of his kids, lost all of his crops, devastation, devastation, devastation. And, And his story is found, I mean, the whole book of Job is about that story. It's hard, it's hard to understand what's going on. But Job chapter 2, verse 11, it said, when, Job's, when three of Job's friends heard the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their home to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz the Temanite, not termite, Bildad the Shuhite. By the way, you know who the shortest man in the Bible is? Bildad the Shuhite. He's only that tall. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Some of you, that's all you're going to hear today. <laughs> Zophar and the Namathite. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes, threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days. No one said a word to Job, for they saw his suffering was too great for words. Seven days, they tore their robes, they threw dust up in the air, dirt all over their their body, they're filthy in silence, not seven minutes, not seven hours, not two days, not three days. Seven days and nights, they sat silently with their friend, Job. Encouragement knows when to just sit and listen and avoid those words, I told you so. Quite frankly, the book of Job will get there. It'll get to the I told you so's. You go on and you read this and, and Job kind of argues with these guys. Job's got some own arrogance of his own to deal with. But I want you to not miss the moment. Seven days. The Bible tells us Job's three friends, they sat in silence. They suffered with him. Man, I'm here if you need me. And I don't have to say a word. My presence is enough. Relationship of encouragement. To which we would all agree, yeah, I need that. I need those friends in my life. I want those. I need that. I want those friends in my life. I need people in my life that, like, we want to collect these people that are encouragers. And listen, the best way to acquire and have a relationship of encouragement is to become that relationship of encouragement. The best way to have good friends is to become a good friend. So an inventory on the back of your handout, there's a list of questions. Encourage you at some point maybe to just take some time and personally answer those for yourself and be honest and ask the Holy Spirit to help you answer them as you see them. Are people better when they're around me? 
Am I the same person to their face that I am behind their back? Do I let other people speak ill or badly of them in my presence? How do I know that they feel safe with me? And there are all of you, some of you in here are just bold enough personalities. Well, I'm just going to ask them. Do you feel safe with me? I mean, I feel safe with me, don't you? I mean, my mom says you should feel safe with me. I'm just going to, do they, you feel safe? And this is what you're going to get. Yeah, sure. And they lying because they don't want to fight with you about how safe you are or not. Do people get excited to hear from me? Or do I, am I a drag of negative energy? These are hard questions. Last one's my favorite. Who is that person of encouragement in my life? And do they know it? Some of you are thinking, why didn't you bring up Barnabas? His name means son of encouragement. That is so, so true. I mean, he would take a defeated John Mark who had failed. He would rebuild him. He would encourage him and, and make him a gospel writer for the ages, right? Again, the Bible is full of incredible examples of encouragement relationships like David and Jonathan. But the big question, who am I being that for today? I know we want to go, who's encouraging me? But the bigger question is, who am I encouraging? Because if I want to have good friends, I've got to become a good friend. So I need relationships of encouragement. Number two, I need relationships of accountability. I want to flip around stories on you a little bit. Told you we're going to move around a little bit. First Samuel 19, David, King David, he was an incredible military leader. Even as a young boy, he took down the Philistine giant, Goliath, right? Great military leader, good king, lousy husband, and even worse father, okay? One of his sons, Absalom, would actually rebel against his own father. So much so that David has to flee the palace. He has to flee the capital of Jerusalem. Now he's on the run with this small army. Eventually... David musters a big enough army that, that's able to kind of go to battle, and so they defeat Absalom and his followers. And in that conflict, Absalom, David's son, is killed. And so now David's army marches back in victory, and David's wanting to know news of the victory, and they come in and say, sir, everything's good. Like, you know, your army won. They, they were defeated. And he's like, what about my son? What about my son? What about my son? What about my son? And when he receives the news of his son's death, he goes and locks himself in a way in a room, and he just starts wailing and mourning and wailing and mourning. Second Samuel chapter 19, he has a friend by the name of Joab. We all need Joabs in our life. He's like, man, the army's coming back. Where, where's King David? He needs to be high-fiving these guys. Going, man, thank you. Thank you. You risk your life for me. Thank you. Oh, my gosh, thank you. He needs to be hugging his lieutenants and his colonels and his generals. Thank you, thank you. And Joab goes, where's David? They're like, you hear that crying? That's your boy. Verse 5, then Joab went to the king's room and said to him, bruh. That's not in it. Like, we saved your life today and the lives of your sons, your daughters, your wives, your concubines, your cats. Cats isn't in there either. Yet you're going to act like this? You make us feel ashamed. You seem to love those you hate and you hate those you love. You made it clear today 
to your commanders and your troops that they mean nothing to you. It seems that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died, you would be pleased. Now would you go out there and congratulate your troops for I swear by the Lord. You ever said that to your kid? I swear that if you don't go out there, not a single one of them will remain here tonight and then you'll be worse off than you were ever before. We all need that friend. We all need that relationship that will go in and our pity parties and our pouting and tell us the tough stuff. This relationship of accountability can be hard. And if I'm being real and transparent before you, I can struggle here. My middle initial is D, Brent D. Kellogg. What's the D stand for? Defensive. It's part of my dark side. It's the lion in me. Like if this was my story, it would read like, and Joab went to Brent's room to tell him, we saved your life today. Get up, crying like a little baby girl. Get your hind parts out there. Go give some hugs and high fives and tell some people some thank yous. And then Brent said, what about me? You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what my hurt feels like. I'm doing the best I can. And if that's not good enough for you, then I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. Anyone ever sound like that? Don't point anybody out. Just eyeballs right here. Like, don't cut your eyes. Like, mm. This accountability relationship is hard because if it's not handled correctly, if it doesn't come from a beautiful depth of spirit and love and genuine care, it feels offensive. It feels attacking. Accountability too soon? It'll stop. It'll take the domino. It'll stop the growth of a relationship. Let's be real. Let's be real for just a second. Not everyone is your relationship of accountability. Some people are just jerks. And they feel like that that's their place, and it's not their place. Some people don't have the right. They haven't invested. They haven't been through the hard things with you. They, some people, it's none of their business. Some people are just jerks. Hashtag don't be a jerk. What'd you learn at church today? I guess to not be a jerk. Hey, man, where's that church at? I'm gonna send my mother. No, I'm just... But some people have put their life on the line for you. So humble yourself. Hear what they have to say, and I'm talking to myself. Take it to heart, prayerfully evaluate, and make the necessary changes. We all need the Joabs in our life. So we need encouragement, we need accountability, and the number three, we need the over and above. We need those over and above relationships. The same John we started with, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who would recline next to or recline on Jesus' bosom, right? Six times in the Gospel of John, he's referred to as the one whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. One of those referrals is an above and an over and above kind of moment. Jesus is on the cross. Standing there at the cross, there's three Marys, Jesus' aunt, and a friend. John 19, verse 25. Standing near the cross where Jesus' mother, what was her name? Mary. His mother's sister, that would have been his aunt. Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So there's three Marys, his aunt. In verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved. Three Marys, his aunt, and John. He said to his mom, dear woman, here is your son. 
And he said to this disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took Mary, the mother of Jesus, into his home. It's a beautiful moment on the cross. Like Jesus is on the cross. He's thinking about the care of his mom. And he's like, hey, John, will you do me a favor? Will you take care of my mom? Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Y'all, I love you. I love you. I ain't taking in your mama. I'm not doing, uh-uh, I ain't doing that. Let's just let be real for a second. John was a friend that went above and beyond. I'm telling you that we all need that friend. And the best way to get that friend is to be that above and beyond friend. Birds of a feather flock together, right? Above and beyond people, they run in groups. Man, there are some circle of friends because they're all above and beyond people. We need to be that. Everybody say, I love you, Brent. I was reminded of the old John Mayer song, say what you need to say, say what you need to say. Are we streaming this? I don't, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm gonna say some really hard stuff. I kind of feel like I want to duck behind this and just read it to you, <laughs> right? Because this is going to feel really harsh, but I feel like if we're not willing to say it, we as a society, we as people, we don't get better. And I want you and I to become more like Christ, and as we become more like Christ, we become better people. Can I get an amen? I have been to, I have done, I have seen funerals where there was nobody there but the people that had to be. Because the person we were memorializing, they didn't love anybody and nobody loved them. I was at a celebration of life yesterday that was standing room only. There was overflow, every seat was occupied and people were making room for everyone there to celebrate a beautiful, a gift from God, a life that spent her life loving people, and in return, she was truly loved. And I'm sitting there, I, I'm just sitting there having this moment, like I'm having this, you know, funerals are, they're telling of a lot. Sometimes some funny, funny stories come out at funerals. But it's also telling to see a room full of people, and, and that's just it. Lonely people are lonely for a reason. That's harsh, that's unkind. But lonely people are lonely for a reason. Maybe they lack the social awareness of how they make other people feel, and so they make situations awkward or uncomfortable, so others just really don't desire to be their friend, but that's on them. Yes, as Christians, we're called to love people and, and try to help them and, and be a domino to help them, but. Self-awareness is one of the greatest gifts, one of the greatest traits that a person can have. Maybe they've never been accountable. Maybe they've never had that accountability relationship to, to let someone love them the tough stuff without, without getting defensive. And maybe at some point a parent or a friend or someone tried to help them, but walls go up and they were defensive and, and they didn't listen. And now loneliness is the consequence of that. Maybe they're a know-it-all. Every time you know what to do, they know better. Every story you tell, they've got one bigger and better, right? Listen, the gospel tells me I have to love them, but I don't have to take in their mama. 
relationships. It's a really, really important domino. It can keep the momentum of your spiritual growth moving. It can keep the movement of your life going in the right direction. But if you take it out, if you don't have the life-giving, God-centered, faith-building relationship, you're going to go, woo, and fall flat. It can stop everything if it's missing. And yes, we all need these. Oh, I need those encouragement relationships. Oh, we, we need those. But the only way to get those relationships in your life is to become those types of relationships. The only way to get good friends is to be a good friend, encouraging, accountable, and the over and above kind of friend. Amen, everybody? Let me pray for you. God, I love you. Lord, I thank you today. The examples of Scripture sometimes are they're hard. Sometimes they're hard. Father, there's some evaluation in all of this for us. There's some checking we need to do. Lord, what kind of friend am I? What kind of Christian am I? The Bible calls us to fellowship. It calls us to encouragement. God, am I, am I doing that in a Christ-centered kind of way? Do people feel safe around me? Father, am I a negative drag around my circles? Or am I Barnabas? Am I a person of encouragement? Am I a friend like Job's friends that just willingly set for seven days because that's what they need? Lord, my hope and prayer is that the word that we preach today and the stories that we tell today would, would plant seeds. Father, those seeds would mature in Hillspring Church, that it would bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold, that when new people come, when lost people come, when hurting people come, they would come find people that are encouraging. They would come find relationships that love them enough to be accountable in the right kind of life-giving way. And they would find a church of over and above people that not only love each other, but God, we love this community. And we're here to be a bright light in a dark day. Father, I just pray today that your word would pierce our heart for the changes that we need to make. In the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody says, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.